Hebrews chapter 10, 32 to 39. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, or we might say after you were saved, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used, or we might say abused. In the light of the last hour, we could talk about prophets. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience or endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Or as we just sang, the noise of battle replaced by the song of victory. Verse 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. But now the just, the righteous, those ones made so by faith, shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Father, again this morning, even upon reading again this text, we are reminded that there is a seriousness that is to accompany the aspect of our life, along with a true sense of satisfaction and joy in the Lord. It is most apparent that many, in our day, the name the name of Christ, are not enjoying the blessedness of their Lord. And so we would pray today that you would help us to appropriate this text for the practical benefit of our own experience here on earth, that we might be a holy and happy people to your pleasure. We ask your blessing upon us as we continue in this text. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Contemplation of the godly sort, confidence of the godly sort, are the two concepts that come to mind when seeing the two exhortations giving God's children following the severe warning running 26 to 31. Two exhortations follow that severe warning concerning willful sin. Sin in the first degree. The first exhortation, verse 32, call to remembrance. 
God's people are to be a people of holy contemplation. They're to be people that think right, as the Bible names righteousness. And, in addition to thinking right, believers are to be diligent not to, verse 35, cast away their confidence in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to be people of contemplation. We are to be thoughtful, as the Bible prescribes thoughtfulness. We are not to be thoughtless people. And we are to be confident people in Christ. Also in verse 35 is the promise of God of reward for those of holy contemplation and confidence in Christ. Those words, which hath great recompense of reward, relate directly to a person who is confident in Christ today. That a confidence in Christ today, as the Bible would have us to be a confident people, yields in eternity, again, a phenomenal, great reward. We saw that same word in the last hour from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Here we see it from the writer of Hebrews. Nonetheless, by taking the two exhortations together. Verse 32, call to remembrance. Verse 35, cast not away your confidence. By taking the two exhortations together, we can package the whole of the instruction that is found here in the terms of, ready, five, deterrence to willful sin in the life of a child of God. Here are five things that will help you to deter sin in your life as a believer. In verse 39, we see the perspective of God's servant that he did not believe the Hebrews that were the original people addressed, he did not believe them to be apostate. He did not believe them to be unsaved people. He did believe a number of them to be weak. He did believe a number of them to be undisciplined. But he did not believe them to be unsaved. But nonetheless, he addresses them as weak and undisciplined people because when you know the Lord and you don't live for the Lord, your life is miserable. Let me say it again. When you know the Lord, and you're not living for the Lord, your life is miserable. Hence, we explain the grumpy, sad brand of Christianity all around us in our day. The only church manifest in America that is happy is the worldly church. As God's people, we are to be contemplative, and we are to be confident. And when we are indeed confident in Christ, we'll be a happy people. It's the way it works. Here, then, are the five deterrents to willful sin. Now, as we start, you'll say, I think we heard that. You did, because I worked it a little bit. 
without the overview last week to get us through that first session, and now we're backing up just a little bit to repackage the whole. Five deterrents to willful sin in the life of a true believer. Number one, contemplate the reproaches of Christ. Number one, contemplate the reproaches of Christ. We saw last time together the very, that very soon after the salvation of the Hebrews address that they endured, verse 32, a great fight of affliction. Those young believers stood tall in the first days of conflict following salvation out of fresh love and joy found in Jesus as the Christ. The fact that they were opposed in their newfound faith cannot be surprising to us. You may have heard the word of King Jesus, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also said, if the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Christ before Christians in every way. Have you ever thought how Jesus would be treated today? Have you ever thought about how Jesus would be treated today if he came again as he came the first time in the first advent? The answer to the question, how would Jesus be treated? The answer is terribly. How do we know? Well, how is the godly Christian treated in our day? As Christ so Christian, you and I need to learn to face our troubles, to face our being chased in the confidence of Christ. Think about what Christ endured and what other believers that you know have loved the Lord Jesus with a whole heart have endured, and it will help you not to sin. Secondly, contemplate your relatives in Christ. Your relatives in Christ. Just as the Hebrew believers had compassion on God's servant when he was in prison, verse 34, Christian history is filled with the testimony of God's family stepping up to care for those that love and serve the Lord. All three synoptic gospel accounts record that moment when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came with her yet unbelieving sons and told the crowd uh, that uh, she'd like to see Jesus. And the crowd, in turn, told the Lord Jesus that his family was there to see him. And the Lord Jesus, very interestingly, did not drop everything uh, that he was doing and uh, run right immediately to them. Every church that I've pastored, every school that I've served, I have always said to the secretary, whoever she may be, if people call, answer the phone, I will let you know after you talk to me as to whether I'll talk to them or not right now. But if my wife calls, don't even ask. Just give it to me. If indeed one of my family members call, don't even ask. I'm talking about my two sons. Just give it to me. Because I honor my family in those kind of settings above the aspect of all else. I think you understand why I might. 
But interestingly, the Lord Jesus didn't drop everything he was doing on that day and run to his mother and his brothers. But rather, on that occasion, took the opportunity to teach the core principle of family, the very family of God. Our Lord asked the crowd, who is my mother? And I think there are probably some of the crowd that said, uh, her? Who are my brethren? I think there are probably some in the crowd that would have said, them? And then Jesus taught them, saying, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my mother, brothers, and sister. And I do believe at that particular moment that Mary was in the family of God and the brothers of Jesus were not. Nonetheless, Jesus defines family differently than you and I do. Jesus defines family by those that do the will of God. That constitutes a family unit in the mind of God greater than any biological genetic relationship. Some of you are failing right now because you are honoring family of the unsaved and on an unrepentant type to a greater level than you're honoring your Lord. Sorry, it's just the truth. There's not a friend, there's not a family member closer to you than your Lord. If you seek to always and ever please him first and foremost, then all the rest of your relationships will fall rightly into place. But as long as you honor anybody above your Lord, you fail with all your relationships. You should face difficulty with family confidence in Christ. We sing, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. The old southern gospel song says, there's not another sister, friend, or brother that loves the way that Jesus can. I like that. There's not a friend or family member closer to you than your Lord. You are to endure temptation as did your Lord. You are to appropriate all relations on earth by your relationship with the Lord. Number three, contemplate the rewards of Christ. Verse 36 tells us that God's children need endurance or faith. And that when living the life of trust and obey, a person can expect to receive of the Lord according to promise. People of trust and obey can expect a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, an incorruptible crown. As a pastor, I can expect a crown of glory. 1 Peter 5. Confidence in Christ means that you know in your soul that it will be worth it all when you see Jesus. That famous sermon preached of yesterday called Payday Someday encourages believers to think right based upon the promise of God's reward. Again, verse 36, For ye have need of patience, endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. God does not 
pay reward before the work is done. If a construction person comes to you, if a dentist says to you, pay me for all the work I'm going to do, and then I'll do it, I wouldn't go to that dentist. I wouldn't hire that construction firm. I wouldn't work that way. That's not a good way to do business because all that does is give the guy money, and you don't know what he might do. And this world is filled with scoundrels and cheats and ripoff artists. Don't do that. Don't pay up front. Let the worker work and then give him his reward. And if they won't work that way, well then, find somebody else. The reality is, is the way it works with God, is that if we endure, in trust and obey, in the will of God, as clearly stated, then we will receive the promise. That in fact we know the noise of the battle will indeed in the coming day give way to the song of victory. People of trust and obey can righteously expect, let me say it again, people of trust and obey can righteously expect. Think right, keep your confidence in Christ, that it will be worth it soon, and it will help you not to sin. Not to sin. Number four, it will help you not to sin if you contemplate the return of Christ. Verse 37, for yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. It is only a little while until the coming of the Lord happens. God is not in line at American Airlines with a ticket hoping they don't cancel the flight. God has never been dependent upon man whatsoever for any sense of delay. God is not delayed. God the Son will arrive exactly on time. As appointed, no delay. And this whole thinking of modern-day Christianity, that oh, 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 if only the Lord would have come yesterday, it surely would have been the right thing, because I was in such a turmoil in my soul. That is just goofball, non-biblical, small God thinking. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Your God is big. He cannot be stopped. He is not dependent upon what goes on on this earth to determine his schedule. He will arrive on time as appointed, no delay. What appears to us as delay is clearly stated in the scripture to be only more grace as planned. For somebody. And it might not be you. So just deal with that. But the Bible's clear that what appears as delay for us is only grace as planned by God. 
The need of the hour is not for the intervention of God before noon. The need of the hour is for Christian endurance. Verse 36, for ye have need of endurance. Confident endurance in Christ. That's what's needed. Peter argues that as a believer, you have spent far enough of your days in sinful practice, and so now ought to be giving the rest of your time on earth, not to fleshly and lustful fulfillment, but to the will of God. And our text says that when you give yourself to the will of God, then it sets you up for the reception of his promise. Pretty clear. Contemplate the Lord's return. It will help you not to sin. And then number five, contemplate the rejoicing of Christ. Verses 38 and 39, it will help you not to sin. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. God takes no pleasure in those that draw back back. God takes pleasure in those that live by faith. God takes no pleasure in those that draw back. God takes pleasure in those that live by faith. The next chapter, Hebrews 11, confirms that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. But as those that believe to the eternal saving of the soul, God indeed takes pleasure as they live by faith. You please your Lord and God by confidently living the life of trust and obey. You and I on this very day have the opportunity, have the capacity to make our Savior smile by faith in the Word of God written and living. And I would pray that you and I would anticipate the smile of the Lord in such a practical and daily sense so as to keep us from not sinning. These are actual helpful things Uh, so as to not uh, sin. Contemplating in this particular way, in this way that yields to confidence in the days of earthly sojourn, indeed serves as a deterrent to sin. Now we're going to return one last time to the end of this chapter next week in order to pick up on the quote of Habakkuk. I say to the children whom I taught in class, not Habakkuk, not Habakkuk, like tobacco, but uh, Habakkuk. Uh, and uh, and uh, we're going to return to that quote. 
uh, here at the end of, of chapter 10, and to set up the continuing call to faith uh, that takes us right into Hebrews chapter 11. Because the living faith, as referenced in, in 1038 and 1039, is the faith that is illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is not a hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is a call to faith. And next uh, week, actually not next week, the week after that, we'll get to Hebrews 11. But next week, we're going to return to this last little section, 37, 38, 39, to pick up on the quote of Habakkuk and uh, to be engaged in the aspect of understanding the setup of the 11th chapter. But for now, let's just be reminded that God is serious about sin. And let's be reminded that the Holy Spirit has been given to us that believe in Jesus then we might actually come to glory in tribulations, knowing that it works onto our endurance, experience, and deepening of hope, leading to even greater confidence in Christ. So says Romans 5, uh, 1 to 5. Now, I again have pushed through uh, quickly this morning so that we can pick up the testimony or the commentary of, uh, of that which we know is helpful in this regard. And we're going to quickly move, quicker than we did the last time I said this in the last hour, uh, we're going to quickly move uh, through the aspects of some scriptures, and they'll all be to pages right. So James chapter 1, 2 to 7. My brethren, counted all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith, worketh endurance, worketh patience. But let patience, let endurance have her perfecting work, that ye may be perfect or mature and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom in building this endurance, if any of you lack wisdom in, in, in building this endurance, uh, people like to quote James 1.5 when they want to decide between a Chevy and a Ford. Oh, Lord, you promised us wisdom. Well, when you're the son of a tool-and-die maker from General Motors, you're going to buy the Chevy. You're going to buy the Chevy. You're going to buy the Chevy. A Ford. Hunk of, pee, hunk of tin, piece of board, throw them together, you got a Ford. Listen, uh, uh, you know, you're going to buy the Chevy. Uh, but this is not talking about wisdom to know whether you buy the Chevy or the Ford. This is talking about when you need wisdom to know how to endure your testimony for Christ by trust and obey when there's all kinds of adversity and things around you to the contrary. I'm telling you, the way that the texts relate to each other between the last hour, this hour, and the hour late tonight is just, I can hardly keep it straight in my mind. I mean, it's, it's something. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who giveth through all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Trials of faith work to produce endurance. If you want to know how to better endure, if you need wisdom for endurance, then you're supposed to pray about it. That's God's instructions here. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter, again, pages right. few pages to the right. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that, in, that he may exalt you in due time. 
casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Take the casting, not, of Hebrews 10, and add it to the casting here positively in 1 Peter 5. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ. Do cast away your cares on the Lord. What a beautiful instruction. Verse 8, be sober. Oh, Lord, we, wanted to, we just wanted to have a good time. Listen, be sober. Be vigilant. Lord, so hard to be disciplined. It's just easier to go with the flow. We like to go with the flow. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And whom may he devour? The one that is not serious about things that are serious and the one that is not vigilant about things of which he should be vigilant. And when you're not serious about sin, as God is serious about sin, when you're not disciplined as a believer, as the Lord would have you be disciplined, then guess what? You invite the devil to chew on you. The devil is always looking for wounded prey. He's always looking for wounded prey. Verse 9, whom Satan, our adversary, resist steadfast in the faith. Or we could say, cast not away your confidence. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Hey, are you experiencing anything as a believer by way of opposition to the truth? Are you experiencing anything that faithful people haven't experienced for generations? Of course not. Verse 10, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. That sounds good. How about mature? How about established? How about strengthened? How about settled for you, for me, right now, from the Lord by trust and obey? That's instructive. Page is right, only a couple. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face. I like that song. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, Be diligent. Spudazzo. Be disciplined. Be exerting yourself in watchfulness that ye may be found in him in a condition of peace without spot and blameless or unchargeable before others of your companions. And account, or and think, or may I use the word contemplate, 
that the long-suffering of your Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Boy, Peter, you said that right. Which they, which are unlearned, like the Hebrews addressed in Hebrews 10, and unstable, like the Hebrews addressed in Hebrews 10, rest, not R-E-S-T, as in rest in peace, but W-R-E-S-T, as in twist. Twisted Christians, they're all around us. They twist what? They twist the scriptures as they do the other scriptures, says the text, unto their own harm, unto their own hurt. Because they're only listening to the part of the Bible that sounds good to them. They're not listening to the part of the Bible that is marked by trust and obey. Listen, what was the great error of Israel in the first century? They wanted Jesus of their liking, not Jesus as he is. And what is the same sin of the modern American church? They want the Lord of their liking. And it's man-centered, not God-centered. It is not predicated upon a sober, diligent response to the Lord of glory. It's predicated upon lesser, much lesser things. Jude Any chapter you want, Jude. (laughs) I'll pick up reading in verse 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you their should be, in the sense of would-be mockers, in the last time, the very time which we live, who would walk, should walk, after their own ungodly lust, living the Christian life by one's own personal desires. These be they who separate themselves as sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. I thought the Lord built us up. I thought the Lord built the church. Listen, no elect person is ever saved without exercising their faith. And the Lord never builds up without your cooperation, without your will and exercise 
And so Jude, who of course most of you know is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, sharing the same mother, of course not the same father, Jude said, Beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. What did Jude say? Same things James said. You kind of expect them to say the same thing. They were brothers. They were both unsaved brothers when they walked with their mother to go see Jesus on that day when he was teaching the crowd. The scripture would give indicate that the brothers of the Lord never really came to the fullness of faith until after the resurrection. It's amazing when your brother dies, when he comes back, what it will do to you. (laughs) And James and Jude both had that experience up close and personal. And so Jude says exactly what James said, and that is that there is a responsibility uh, to build yourself up in trust and obey and endure in it. And when you don't uh, know what to do next, then you're supposed to pray in the Holy Spirit. So it's about uh, uh, diligence, and it's about dependency upon God. Verse 20, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's just like uh, keeping yourself in the shower. Back in the day when Sherry and I spent a whole summer at camp, and we had, back in that day, six weeks of junior camp, You really had to be concerned about the fact that the boys, not the girls, but the boys for junior camp would actually change their skivvies because those little rugrats would come to camp and if you didn't tell them that they had to take a shower and they had to change their underwear, they never would. I mean, they go home with a suitcase absolutely clean of clothes because they only wore the same thing every day. And so I used to say to the counselors of that summer, you tell those boys to get into the shower. And when they turn the water in, get in the water. Back in the day, they had a big gang shower there at the camp. And you could turn on the nozzle and stand back on the wall and never even get wet. In fact, I, making sure that some of those boys took a shower, went into the shower and stood on the back of the wall and never got wet, making sure they got wet. And sometimes took the top of their head and pushed them into the shower so that they would get wet. And then, of course, I encouraged the the free use of soap. (laughs) And I was happy to provide it. But I'm just saying, this verse says uh, to God's people, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the shower of God. The shower of God's love is always on. The shower of God's love is always on. The shower of God's love is always on. But you can stand outside the shower. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And as the ministry, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and of others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. How can we make sure it's going to happen? Well, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Who can do that? Who can do that? Who can do that? Nobody can do that but God. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all God's people say,
Father, may these scriptures